Welcome to the Metaphorist's Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story, narrated by the author, is Useful and Beautiful Things by E. Saxe. E. Saxe is a queer Londoner who works in universities and volunteers in libraries. Their current writing desk used to belong to the ancient order of druids. Find them online at thelightningbook.co.uk or on Twitter at E. Saxe. That's E-S-A-X-E-Y. Let's jump in. This suburb has rows and rows of identical 19th century houses. But when any single home is opened, it can contain wonders. It's late in the half afternoon when I report to the address the governor sent me. A mahogany behemoth is escaping through the ground floor sash window. A George III wardrobe with claw feet. A remarkable piece of furniture, requiring a gang of four sweaty men to wrestle it through the window. Frankie! I recognise one of the men as the governor, the gang's coordinator. He's hauling at a claw foot, struggling with the weight. Give us a hand, go! I step in and take some of his burden protecting the wardrobe from damage as we bring it down to the ground. The men are thankful, if confused. I'm stronger than I look. The governor slaps me on the back. Tell Frankie, this is a hell of a house. There's so much bloody junk, we've only got half of it out. I follow him up the garden path. The back of his t-shirt reads, St Lucian till I die, providing his own provenance. Alongside the path I see marvels. A Chinese famille vert floor vase, which shouldn't be standing up on the uneven lawn like that. I lay it gently on the grass. Sheltering under the hedge is a herd of six dining chairs, Queen Anne style, two of them stacked awkwardly like animals mating. Sorry about your ma, Frankie, calls the governor. You doing all right? I catch his anxiety and reassure us both. I can work solo. The governor beckons me indoors and upstairs to a sunlit study. This place is a total hodgepodge, Frankie. He flaps his hands at walls, which are lined with shelves. Most are packed with books, but one shelf holds statuettes of gods, a dozen of them, an international pantheon. It's a bad scene. I wonder why he sounds dejected. There's death here, certainly. I know the signs. This house was a man's home. He was the gravity that kept these objects together. Without him, they spin off and spill into the garden and get damp and chipped. But estate stales are bread and butter to the governor. He's a genius at house clearance. He can strip a place in a day. He helps to mitigate the tragedy of death by finding every item a new home. What have you found? I ask him. We put it over the back there, for safety. Pushed to one corner of the study is a small low table. My discernment stirs. The table is circular and wooden, satin wood, 19th century, yes, 1860s, with a Pietra Dura marble chessboard in the centre. My skills still function, thank goodness. Despite the worries of the last few months, I can do my job. A chess set made of stone is laid out, ready to play. I stop dead, in the middle of the room. I can't intuit anything about the chess set. I recognise the shape of the pieces the knobs and planes of the ultra-traditional Staunton design, but little else. I suppose the translucent pieces could be 
rock crystal from South Asia. Too vague, much too vague. I try to keep my heart from tick, tick, ticking in panic. The set is slightly uneven, the piece is not symmetrical. Pan made, perhaps, by an amateur. Such objects are always hard to identify. The dark pieces are carved from malachite, dark green with vivid spots, like moss or mould. What's wrong with it? I ask. Three of my boys couldn't put this bloody thing away, the governor informs me. I'll show you what it does. He plucks the dark green queen from the table, blinks, puts her back, nods. Here, I'll show you. Picks up the queen again and replaces her. He remembers nothing, resetting before my eyes. Wait a mo, I'll show you showed me. Damn, did it mess me around again? Well, you get the idea. What do the other pieces do? Not a clue. But one lad who touched them was acting so funny, I had to send him home. It's all yours if you want it. Usual terms? You take it away? 50-50 if you sell it on? That's fair, so we shake on it. The governor leaves me to my work. I slough off my backpack, tie back my hair. I don't go back to the chess set at first, but poke through the bookshelves in case there's a box for the set, or, or any provenance or context. Hey! You can't take any of those. I jump back. I overlooked the person frowning at me from the far corner of the study, because she wasn't part of my jurisdiction. I take her in. Rounded, wearing dusty dungarees. About three decades old, but people are hard to date. Her dark brown hair and a shaggy bob is a couple of inches longer than when we last met, and her expression is more combative. My employer has an agreement for the books, she says. I work for Sotheran's. I'm Tamsin Zhang. I know. I mean, we both worked on the Griffith estate in Portslade. I'm Frankie Cornish. There was a woman with you, an older woman. She got the Mabinogion? My colleague. My mother. Yes, she took the Mabinogion, an 1880 edition, lavishly illustrated, cloth-covered in green. What a memory for an object Ms. Zhang has. I recognise a kindred spirit. I need to reassure her. I'm only taking the chess set. She walks closer. Her spectacles are round, with photos' shell frames and strong lenses, and I think I come into focus for her because her frown relaxes. Oh, yes, I remember you. Why are in my books, then? Looking for anything related. Um, the dead guy had a secretary who took all his papers. I sigh at the news. She could go back to her work, but she lingers, perhaps regretting her initial hostility. What's so important about the chess set, she asks, peering down at the pieces. She is five foot three, not as high as my chin. They carried it in here like it might explode. I'm disposing of it. You're throwing it out. Can I have it? No, sorry, I mean I'm, I'm taking it away with me to evaluate. Are you taking any of this other stuff? This house is ridiculous. What was he doing with all these? She points at the shelf of gods, where a fist-sized blue baboon, 6th century BC, hides in his newspaper wrapping from a bronze leopard, 17th century, probably stolen in the sack of Benin City. Some of the gods are genuine, and some are replicas, and nobody will want the whole mismatched collection, but the governor will find each god a new owner. In the second during which the gods distract me, Tamsin reaches for a chess piece. Don't! I can be careful. I handle fragile books. That's my job. Tamsin is so sure of herself, so indignant, that I pause. She plucks up the green queen, places her down again, blinks and resets. I'll be careful. 
She picks the queen up again, puts it down. The possibility of danger overrides my manners, and my hand shoots out to grab her wrist, to stop her third attempt. But Tamsin is already drawing back, and my hand closes on empty air. Ooh, that's weird. That's clever. She touches the head of the green queen, blinks a few times, and laughs in astonishment. Bloody hell! You have to stop. Uh, It might not be safe. I sound priggish. She doesn't seem to take offence, but does give me a hard stare, eyes huge through her distorting spectacles. Did you know it would do that? There's no chance of bluffing. She's felt the weird effect herself. I knew it would do something. That's why the governor called me in. Does this kind of thing happen often? To me, yes. She looks at me with avid interest. So how does it work? I don't know. I have a handful of hypotheses. I have to take it away and test it. Her frown returns, similar to when she mentioned the Mabinogion, unwilling to let it go. Wait, I have something that might be connected. We can investigate. I am so used to working with my mother that the offer of collaboration is a comfort. The owner's name is Magnus Owens. Earlier that day, Tamsin found his diaries, which were shelved with his books, and thus escaped the notice of his secretary. Check these out, Tamsin says. They're half-bound in Moroccan leather with blind tooling. Bit creepy, other people's diaries. Not my area. She passes me a volume. Diaries are the most personal, the least transferable objects. I know these ones may not find a buyer, despite their fine bindings. Are there family members who might be interested? Tamsin shrugs, indifferent. Dunno. Owens doesn't mention having a wife or kids in the parts I read. He was mining graphite in Sri Lanka. He's obsessed with his collections. He lists all the things he buys, and there are cross-references to a stack of auction catalogues I I showed him to the governor. I'm glad. That will help him rehome the objects. But look at this. Tamsin stands close to me, turns the pages of the volume I hold, and points to the notes and numbers at the foot of each page. Won the game in 22, Sicilian defence. Smith Mora gambit. Lost in 10, Dutch defence. This is the main thing, apart from collecting, that he bothers to write down. It's a record of chess games. She flips forwards, backwards. Numbers on every page. He played every night. Yeah, almost. So do you think he made this freaky chess set to confuse his friends? To win more games? Maybe to win money? I admire her leaps of logic, but there's no money mentioned here, only a tally. I flick the pages, find a month when things improve for Owen. Won the game in twelve, one in ten. Only a week before, I find a description of his chess set arriving from Rajasthan. As soon as I read the place name, I am flooded by images of Rajasthani stone carving. Jolly screens framing the sky in a lattice of stars. A provenance. I feel it like a delicious, cool wave. My heart calms. The diaries have proved useful after all. Tamsin quizzes me as I take photos of the relevant pages. So, do you ever get called in to deal with books? Books that do weird things? Sometimes. Magic books? Not magic. All right, freaky books. Do you have any? Can I see them? Thank you, but I'm I'm not planning to sell any. You're with Sotherans. I'll think of them the next time I have one. She looks a little annoyed. I suppose it would have been a professional coup for her to bring in an unusual tome. I pick up the Green Queen and stow her in my backpack. Hey, Frankie! She touches my arm, suddenly agitated. How can you touch the pieces like that? 
I've made a foolish mistake. Normally I'd wear gloves to keep up appearances. I have a high tolerance for freaky stuff. Tamsin's eyes shine. It doesn't do anything to you. I'm not very sensitive. The room is too hot. If I were staying, I'd throw up the sash windows, invite a breeze in to ruffle the packing paper. But I'm leaving. Tamsin asks, If you're not sensitive, how will you find out whether the other pieces do the same thing? She notices too much, and she thinks too fast. I look at the ranks of chess nobility, slightly askew, as if drunk, gazing over their pawn army. Each piece could be hazardous. Normally, my mother would test the pieces at her workbench back home, with great interest and care. I'll help you, Tamsin offers. You can't. I can. They won't do me any real harm, will they? One of the governor's boys went home sick. Yeah, you might have skived off to enjoy the weather. I'll help you. I have a book of contacts from my mother, listing trustworthy people who buy strange things. I have storage facilities and a network of folk, including the governor, who put interesting artefacts my way. What I don't have is someone to do what my mother did, interact with objects and let them work on her, demonstrating their properties. The nervous ticking fills my chest again. I won't steal them, Tamsin protests. I'm a book person. I think she's teasing me. I find her hard to read. Maybe. Thank you. Yes. I make one stipulation for safety. But not until the house is empty. For the next few hours, Tamsin works at the far end of the study, chatting with me in between periods of intense concentration. She asks me again about unusual books, and I describe a handful that I've seen and their hazards. I tell her in the hopes that she'll respect my expertise, as I respect hers, but she seems unsatisfied. At six in the evening, the shouts and crashes downstairs die away. The governor hands me the keys, and the house is silent. So, I pick the pieces up, asks Tamsin, one at a time. I hold my notebook and pencil ready. Mm, and tell me the effect. Just the greens, or do you think the whites do anything? I try to think like Magnus Owens. He wouldn't want to disadvantage himself. Yeah, but could the white pieces do positive things? She puts herself in the shoes of the dead man so easily. Perhaps. Uh, let's try them first. I sit on the floorboards, cross-legged by the chess table. In my experience, it's better not to have too far to fall. Tamsin sits down, not across the board where an opponent would be, but on the adjoining edge to me, our knees almost touching. I can see how deftly Tamsin must handle delicate books. She walks her index fingers with care along the heads of the pawns. King's pawn, nothing. Knight's pawn, nothing. I write for both, no effect. Bishop's pawn, Tamsin sneezes violently. Her bobbed hair falls forwards. It wasn't the pawn, it's dust. No effect. Stroke, allergenic, question mark. Rook's pawn. I feel calm. Really chill. Relaxing, question mark. Then she looks about the room and sighs. From up on the shelf of gods, the small blue baboon watches us. This damn house. Why don't I have a house like this? A collection like this? Oh, hang on. She throws the pawn from hand to hand. It's this piece. 
It makes me feel like I deserve everything. Confidence, I ask. Entitlement. Resentment. Queen's pawn. Ooh, this one feels nice. Tamsin clutches it to her chest. Satisfying, like dumplings. Maybe I'm just hungry. She lifts her arms over her head, saving the stretch, and regards me with a cat-like smile. I write, sense of well-being, question mark. What do you want? Sorry. Want on soup? Dim sum, I say, for the sake of appearances. It'll be here in half an hour. You owe me a tenner. Her fingers take three last steps along the front rank of pieces. Rook's pawn, bishop's pawn, knight's pawn. These are duds. You can let me have one as a souvenir. I have to keep the set together. But perhaps I should pay her half of what I make from the set, because her evaluation will inform me about how to sell it. Not on the open market, of course, but using my mother's list of trustworthy collectors. I would have to stay in contact with Tamsin to arrange payment. The prospect cheers me. Tamsin plucks up the white bishop and squints at the bookcase more than three metres away. I can read all the titles. She takes off her glasses. Hey, my eyesight's fine. Holy crap, has this thing fixed my eyes? It may have optimised how your brain works with your eyes. Positive minor visual effects, I write. Wow! Can I buy it? Seriously? Her glasses have left a pink dent on either side of her nose. My eyes are so rubbish this would be a life changer. We don't know how it works. It could be doing terrible damage to your brain. White Bishop is grudgingly replaced, as are Tamsin's glasses, and she scoops up the white knight. I feel confident, she chuckles. No, I feel lucky. Shall we test it? In my pocket, I find two dice and hand them over. Her expression is sceptical, but she sends the dice rattling across the floorboards. Two sixes. I retrieve them and Tamsin rolls them again. Double sixes. I write, positive effect, good fortune. While she glares at the white bishop, its eyeless face and aghast mouth. So this little blobby boy is actually affecting the world, says Tamsin. But double sixes are a completely arbitrary symbol. How does it know that they're lucky? Wait, are, are those dice loaded? I can give you a coin to toss if you'd rather. She stands and paces back over to the bookshelves. Impossible questions are grinding together in her mind. She's probably going to leave now. I may not see her again, except at contentious estate sales, at intervals of years. That's all right. People are allowed to relocate themselves. Tamsin uses both hands to unshelve a large dictionary. Bosworth and Toller's Old English, cloth-bound in burgundy, and carries it back to me. She opens the cover carefully. Inside, the pages have been hollowed out to hide a flat bottle of Talisker 25-year single malt whiskey. I found this this morning. Isn't it tacky? She upends the bottle into her mouth, and there's an audible glug. She hands it over to me. I don't know if we should combine alcohol with... We totally should, because people are going to play with these pieces when they're drinking sherry or what have you, and you need to know how bad that would be. She folds her legs up and rejoins me on the floor. She's misjudged our proximity, and now her knee presses mine. I bet Owen got his friends drunk the filthy cheat. Why do you have dice in your pocket? Does this kind of thing happen to you a lot, eh? I have some cufflinks, which work the other way. They're gold with blue enamel, 
translucent lapis blue over hatched engine turning. There in my mother's permanent collection, never to be sold. Fabergé. Unlucky cufflinks. Well, three owners found them difficult. I realise I'm showing off. I shouldn't. It's dangerous to invite her to look closely at my life. Wow. Terminally difficult. And you kept them. William Morris wouldn't like that. She prods my shoulder and takes back the whiskey bottle from my hands. I want to share a joke, but I can only think of William Morris's floral patterns looping across mid-19th century sofas. Why would he care about my cufflinks? He said you shouldn't have anything in your house that you don't know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. But your house is full of awful stuff by the sound of it, am I right? I think of my mother's workbench and all the artefacts my mother restored and rehomed. Then the wall of strong boxes, one of which will hold the chest set. I picture the piece that will fill me when I close the lid. It's a very useful place, overall. Oh, Frankie, you should have a beautiful house. This time it sounds less like a scolding than a wish. Tamsin thinks I deserve a beautiful house. Before I can ask her, she adds, What's your favourite thing that you own? Is it a book? I've never thought of that. I don't truly consider the objects in my collection to be mine. They're only resting with me because nobody else can own them, at present. I don't have a favourite. Not even that Mabinogion you snatched. Another nudge on my shoulder. Was it freaky? What did it do? It could be a joke, but perhaps her excellent memory for books is supported by a great capacity for grudges. I shake my head. White Rook. Nothing. No, wait. She holds out her wrist. Should I admire her bracelets of 19th century cloisonne beads patterned with bats? My pulse. Feel it. I touch her warm, soft wrist, and the flicker I find there slows and slows. You should put the rook down. But I feel really calm. Really on top of things. I pluck the rook from her hand. Induces catatonia, question mark. Spoil sport, she accuses, rubbing her wrist where I touched it. The queen's got to be the most powerful one, right? She lowers her fingertip onto the milky crown of the white queen. Oh! I'm the most important person in the world. Anything I do for my own benefit is just fine. Cool. Solipsism, question mark, I write. White King. Wow! The board just lit up. Tamsin sits bolt upright. I can see all the moves. I haven't played chess since I was ten, but I could see every way it could possibly go. She turns her gaze on me and lapses into silence. I write down strategic foresight. How do you get into a job like yours? She asks, still staring. I write overly curious, because I know she's reading it. No, but seriously, it can't just be because you're insensitive. Persistent intrusive questioning. I shouldn't have shown off about my cufflinks. I need to turn her attention aside. Is there more whiskey? Tamsin reluctantly relinquishes the White King. I can't keep it. It might give you something like concussion. But you're still going to sell the set. The list of people I would trust with these had dwindled with each piece, each power. I'll see. Or get rid of them. Throw them away. No, don't say that. Why not? God, you sound like those people who get sentimental over books being chucked out. Do you know how much terrible waste of space books there are? You can't hang on to everything. You can just bung stuff in the bin. I shake my head over and over. I worry I might scream. 
A chime rings round the room. Tamsin springs to her feet. Food's here. Tamsin thunders down the stairs, and the vibrations set one of the shelf gods wobbling. I nudge it further back to safety. I would love to have a day to hold each of these small statues in my hands and know who they are, where they came from. But they're not dangerous, so they're not my business. I should be wary of Tamsin. She lulled me into thinking of her as my work partner, but I didn't choose her. She keeps teasing me and touching me, but I should keep a level head. I hear her chatting with the food delivery man, which gives me time to pluck up all the pieces we've tested and stash them in my bag, away from temptation. When Tamsin returns, her face is somewhat pallid. The delivery guy told me that Owens died here, in the house. I remember the governor saying this was a bad scene and wonder if he meant the manner of Owen's death. It's understandable. People die, things endure. It's grim. Tamsin lays the pots of food out on the floor. Hey, where did the white pieces go? They're safe. What do you think Owen's was like? I asked to distract her from my tidying, and from the fact that I won't eat the dim sum. And because I want to know her opinion. An Englishman collecting colonial curiosities to make his Englishness more interesting. She puts herself in Owen's place, then puts him in his place too. Did you get that from the diaries? I got that from his book collection. Lots of international publications, lots of uncracked spines. Don't be sad. It's all better for my bosses to have some pristine Bengali poetry. Kid and Jolly will end up with somebody who actually appreciates it. I wait until Tamsin wrangles a steamed dumpling into her mouth. The green pieces, I say. I shouldn't let you test them. Let me. <laughs> she can still argue with her mouthful. The green ones may be terrible. No, because, look. She swigs her coke. I've hidden the whiskey under my backpack. They can't be that god-awful, or nobody would ever play chess with them twice. They're not going to make you cough up your lungs, are they? She's three moves ahead of me. And you need to know how they work, don't you? To be a good caretaker. I need to know the full extent, to judge what to do with the set, who might safely buy it, or more likely how I can store it, whether to seal it in clay or submerge it in running water. But must I rely on Tamsin? Let's just do the pawns, she offers as a compromise. They're only small. The pawns will perplex us both. King's pawn. Nothing. No effect. I write. It's not doing anything at all. She chuckles slyly. Tamsin, are you lying? No. <laughs> I write, induces duplicity slash hysteria, question mark. Tamsin shivers. Holy hell, that was stranger than the eyesight thing. And it made you lie? It didn't do anything. I was fine. <laughs> I reach to take back the pawn and she makes a fist. Twists and turns, play wrestles my fingers with her own. I don't like to look strong, and she's wily and enjoying herself, so the fight goes on for longer than it needs to. When the pawn is out of her hands, she asks, Why would that help Owen win? I suppose it would encourage his opponent to cheat. Bishop's pawn. Tamsin sighs. I'm rubbish at this anyway. At chess? At everything. Hopelessness, I write. Knight's pawn. I want to bet you a lot of money that I'm going to win. Risk-seeking? Overconfidence? 
what happens if... Before I can stop her, she's palmed two pawns simultaneously. Hey, I think I'm going to lose and I don't care. I still want to bet on it. I wish you could feel this. Her grin is contagious. Her eyes are alight. This is all irresponsible, reprehensible. I should be working alone. Stop, please. Thankfully, she does. Queen's pawn. It's telling me just do anything, move anywhere. Don't overthink it. Hazardous rashness. Does it have a voice? No, it's just a feeling. Do some things have voices? I think of the rooms in my mother's house, my house, filled with items that charmed and berated her, to which I am blessedly oblivious. We were perfect colleagues. Sometimes. She leans in closer to me. Does she want to be hugged? I could do that. She swipes the whiskey from under my bag. Queen's pawn makes you thirsty. Rook's pawn makes Townsend jump to her feet, knocking over the remnants of her takeaway. Sorry, I can't sit still. Restless. Why does he get all this stuff? How can anyone deserve... Psychologically restless? I feel small. Do I seem small? Not more than you... No. You're not taking me seriously. I should have said something kinder, more respectful. I'm sorry. Put the pawn down. Instead, she sweeps up more pieces, handfuls of them, stuffing them into the pockets of her dungarees, and runs. I lunge at her, but she's quicker. She's off down the stairs, almost flying, bursting out of the back door, and vanishing into the overgrown garden. I have to follow. It's dusk, and the trees cast deep shadows. There's a pale path, but as I run down it, chasing her, I feel thorns catch at my clothes. I hear Tamsin rather than see her, ahead of me. Please let her not be hurt. Let her not drop anything either. Let me not have to hunt for the dark green chest pieces amid brambles in the dark. My eyes adjust, and a movement draws my gaze towards Tamsin, standing in an old wooden gazebo. I should jump at her, pin her arms, make her release the rook's pawn, but I can't imagine hurting her. Come on, take them off me. She raises her fist and waves it from side to side. This is the most important thing, right? It is an accusation. But it is true. People pass. Things endure. My responsibility is to things. While I hesitate, I see a quick arc in the dark, her arm as she flings the pawn of low self-esteem far into the garden. Her penitence is instant. Oh God, sorry, shit, I'll find it. Her face glows in the light of her phone. It went in that direction. I have a keyring torch, and I spot the pawn before she does resting in a patch of dandelions. I turn my back to Tamsin before I stoop to pick it up. I need to keep it secure. I dust off the dirt and place it on my tongue, force myself to swallow, feel the nobbles as it slides down my throat. Found it, I call. I found something else. Tamsin has her phone light trained on a flickering tail of plastic tape in the bushes, with lettering. Police line. Do not cross. I think he died in the garden. Owens. Tamsin stares up at the house, the sash window glowing with light. Maybe he jumped out the window of his study. Do you think the chess set killed him? I thought not. He should have known its properties. But what pieces might he have touched by accident? In what combination? Did he grab recklessness, self-doubt and foresight all in one hand? and throw himself away. And now all his possessions have followed him, 
flung outwards, dispersing. Tamsin, standing beside me, says, You'll get rid of it, won't you? Don't worry, I won't pass it on to another owner. No, I mean, you should trash it. Smash it up, bury it. I dislike this line of thought. I dislike it very much. Inside me, things tick painfully fast. The horrible plastic police tape dances about in the wind. I'm seized by a pang of fear. I'm not mourning Owen or thinking of the ways he might have died. I'm empathising with the objects he's left behind. I never want to be wrapped in a rug left on a lawn. I don't want to be forced to seek someone new, someone who appreciates me enough to keep me. My internal mechanisms are spinning wildly. I need to be calm. I remind myself. I may not have an owner, but I have a place in the world. I've earned it. I duck into the gazebo and sit on the bench I find inside. You can't throw an artefact away, I say, just because you don't have a use for it at the moment. I'm speaking to myself more than to Tamsin. She hears me, though, and shouts back. But you can't hang on to it indefinitely either, not if it's toxic. I'll keep it safe. But you won't live forever, will you? I don't know the answer to that. Tamsin stumbles into the gazebo and joins me on my bench, pulling out her bottle of coke, into which it occurs to me she has poured a lot of the whiskey, and drinking deeply. Let's do the rest of them, she offers. I shake my head. But we're almost done. She points to her dungaree pocket. I see the bumps of the stolen pieces through the denim. You get them out. I work my hand into her pocket, ignoring the warmth of her body, and retrieve them. I line them up on the bench, within arm's reach, and lay my torch alongside to light them. I take out my small notebook and pen. I can complete this quickly and depart. Green Rook. I shouldn't be here, says Tamsin. Is the same as Rook's pawn? No, that was just twitchy legs. This is... I need to get away right now. Shit, do you think this is the one that killed Owens? Sit on my feet. Come on, it'll slow me down if I try and run off. She's tucking a foot under the bend of my knee, wriggling until it's wedged. There, like that. Need to be elsewhere. Self-destruction. My handwriting is not neat. Green Bishop. Do you ever wonder what you're for? I did. I do. Has the bishop given her telepathy? If so, does she know how conscious I am of her wriggling foot? Go on, write down existential doubt, or moody cow. Green Knight. I want to fight you. I hate you. She wrenches her foot free from under my legs, but falls backwards to the floor. I spring up, hit a gazebo pillar and shake down cobwebs and dust onto both of us. I want to help Tamsin stand, but her arms are flailing. She's still furious at me. She takes a wild swing. The chess piece flies from her hand. Gah! Vicious little horse bastard! She cries. I crouch down to pick up the knife and quickly swallow it to join the pawn. I am the safest temporary store for small wicked objects. Before I can stand, a hot hand lands on my back. I hear Tamsin's breath. Her hand slides up. She slips her fingers into my hair to stir deliciously against my scalp. You're a very attractive, whatever you are, a very cute curator. Her voice is low and tender, all her rage boiled away, and her heat warms me. But only one of her hands is in my hair. She's holding the green king in the other. 
It's not fair to let this go on. I twist around and prise her fingers open as gently as I can. I know it's worked when I hear her swear, and she pulls away from me and stomps to the other side of the hut. I eat the green king. I focus on finding my notebook. I write, emotional connection, question mark? A euphemism. The lust-inducing king is even less explicable than the rage knight. Would desire distract your opponent? It's distracted Tamsin, who is holding her head in her hands. The aphrodisiac effects of the green king have disgusted her. And I'm to blame. I wanted to impress her by my association with wonderful things. My back feels chilly now, where her hand had rested. Tamsin raises her head, sucks in the night air. Is that the last one? she asks faintly. There's only one piece left, and we know what she does, the Green Queen. Oh, her. The monarch of forgetting and resetting. Maybe Tamsin would appreciate some amnesia. I look back to the house, and through the back door glimpse floorboards of rich golden oak. Carpets fade and moths consume them, but wood goes on for centuries, until you burn it. Even then, it's useful. You have to get rid of them all, Tamsin instructs me. Apart from the one that fixed my eyesight. White Bishop. You can give that one to a doctor. All the others, though, they they need to go. You can't let people use them to start fights, win elections, or as a bloody truth drug. I can't read my notebook, so I double-check my mental list of the pieces. None of them worked as a truth drug. Her anger's making her exaggerate. I'll keep them away from anyone, I promise her, as I pick up my backpack. I will use my best strong one. But you could fall under a bus tomorrow. They'll get out into the world again. Why not destroy them? Tick, tick, tick. My heart stutters faster than I've ever felt it. I can't speak my objection. They're lethal, she insists. They might have killed their last owner. I know the fuel for her hate isn't the self-destructive bishop or the aggressive knight. It's the Green King, the piece that made her want me. And they're ugly. They're failing the William Morris test on both fronts. I do believe that almost everything can find a new owner, I say. Really? How long have you been holding those murderous cufflinks? Objects have to earn the space they take up in the world. Things have to be useful. And to my surprise, tears well up in my eyes and drip onto the golden oak floorboards. Not you. I didn't mean you. Oh, damn! She scrambles across the bench to wrap her arms around me. You're remarkable. Am I? My mother did a lot of work to make me appear ordinary. Is it obvious? Tamsin continues her clumsy hug and clumsy reassurance. No, no, not unless you look really closely. People don't usually look at me closely. I'd never have noticed, uh, except the White King made me understand how things worked. Um, And then you ate those chess pieces. I clear my throat. I've lost my mother. My co-worker, the one who restored me. Almost all my memories are from after she mended me. She died. Two months ago, she died. I'm sorry. This is the first job I've been on without her. I need to know I can still do the work, that I'm still useful. Tamsin loosens her grip, and I think she'll let me go, but she settles into a more sustainable embrace. I understand. Everyone wants to be useful. But everything needs to be useful. Tamsin shakes her head very hard, brushing her face against mine. No, 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 you don't need to be useful. I do. She's trying to think of arguments 
against all her earlier pronouncements. Beautiful. You could be beautiful instead. I want to correct her. No, someone else must believe I'm beautiful. I want to ask, does she believe I'm beautiful? Instead I ask, which chess piece makes you tell the truth? Tamsin buries her face in my shoulder without answering. It is the Green King, then. I study her cloisonne bracelet in the dimness and listen to the tick-tick ticking of my heart. That was Useful and Beautiful Things by E. Saxe. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.